Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Ineligible Man Downfield Podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Chris Golian, and I'm going to begin our pre-draft breakdown. This year's NFL Draft will happen later this month. Starts uh, Round 1 starts on April 29th. It'll conclude May 1st. It's in Cleveland, Ohio, which is not exactly where I'm from, but in relative proximity. Uh, and so I uh, will get things started. You know, no, no messing around in the beginning of this episode. We'll get right into it. We're going to start uh, division by division breakdown. We're going to start in the north with both the AFC and NFC North. Uh, we'll start things in the AFC. So starting things off with the AFC North division, we'll go over to Baltimore. The Baltimore Ravens um, had a pretty interesting offseason. Not so much in the, the acquisitions that they made, but more of the guys that they lost. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, Matt Judon, to you know, the two most notable. Going over to the addition side of things for the Baltimore Ravens, I really like the move of getting getting Kevin Zeitler, offensive guard, veteran, former first-round pick. Obviously familiar with the division as he played the first part of his career in Cincinnati and then went over to Cleveland and was traded to the Giants the past couple of seasons. Ravens also re-signed uh, Tyrus Bowser, uh, Pernell McPhee, Justin Ellis, and Derek Wolf. Uh, Ellis and Wolf, Wolf especially, played a really uh, significant role on that defensive line. They dealt with a lot of injuries to Calais Campbell, and uh, he was a big part of that. But Derek Wolf as a, was kind of an underrated free agency signing for the Ravens last year. This year, he inks a, a three-year, $12 million deal, so a little bit uh, you know, compensated for that recognition. They also acquired a tight end, Josh Oliver, uh, from the Jaguars uh, just for a conditional draft pick. Obviously, at, at the start of this, I talked about the Ravens losing Matt Judon. Uh, he signed with the Patriots. Yannick Ngakwe signed with the Raiders. Ngakwe was sort of a disappointment. I think it was just too much, too fast for him as a midseason trade acquisition. Not something you see well much in the NFL at all, but especially in Baltimore. Uh, sort of asked to play out of position. Uh, Ngakwe, even going back to his days at Penn State, was always a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. The Ravens asked him to play a stand-up outside linebacker spot, and at times he looked lost. Had some moments um, where he looked like the pass rusher that a lot of people thought he would be, but pretty inconsistent. So I don't believe that that's necessarily a huge loss for the Ravens, but it's definitely a position of need. The Ravens' first-round pick uh, is number 27 in the first round. So I think at the 27th spot, you're not in a great position uh, for the top-tier guys, obviously. I don't see the Ravens moving up in the draft for anybody necessarily. I believe that at the 27th spot, they can get a player to fit a big need at that edge rusher role. I like uh, Pay from Michigan to the Ravens there. I think that he has the explosiveness. The Ravens, excuse me, not the Ravens, but the Michigan Wolverines have a pretty complex defense. Um, it's something I read about, uh, I forget exactly where, but that uh, a lot of teams enjoy defensive prospects from Michigan because of some of the complex schemes that they've run in the past there and that the basis of their defense. So I think getting that pit, getting a guy like Quiddy Payne at 27 presents 
uh, filling a need, a lot of value, and could arguably be one of the better players available at that 27th spot. I really think that that edge is the most important need that they have. I wouldn't be surprised if they went with a wide receiver pick. Uh, they're, this is an extremely deep draft for, at the wide receiver position, so there will certainly be talent there even at the end of the first round, uh, especially with the run on quarterbacks that there seems to, uh, you know, uh, seems to be coming in this draft with likely the first three picks, potentially more depending on if there's any draft day moves, which there's, you know, been some, you don't know whether it's a smoke screen or whether it's uh, really in motion, but there's been some talk that there could be some other teams moving up in round one to get that quarterback. So uh, I think that if the Ravens could come away with a guy like Quiddy Payne, that would be, or Quiddy Pay, excuse me, that would be a pretty big move for them. Um, I think that it's a guy that could come in and make an impact right away. If the pick isn't Quiddy Pay, I wouldn't be shocked if it was a receiver like Rashad Bateman. Uh, potentially, the Ravens also went out and signed Sammy Watkins. It was a sort of a later, that secondary or uh, or later free agency market. I think Watkins is a nice addition to that receiving core that seems to be a, a, a tough place to recruit players and a tough place to play just because the Ravens don't throw the football that much. If I'm going to go outside the box at 27 for the Ravens, I really think um, the other pick potentially could be, you know, maybe a center um, as a need for them. They lost uh, Matt Skura in free agency, um, brought some other guys back. That interior since the retirement of Marshall Yonda last year was kind of inconsistent. Um, I'm also curious to see what the Ravens do with Orlando Brown. Um, it was alleged that he did not want to return to the team unless he could be the starting left tackle. The Ravens have Ronnie Staley. They gave him a big extension last year, and unfortunately he went down with a season-ending injury. And so uh, that forced Orlando Brown to move over from right to left tackle, and that's where he wants to stay. Have not heard much uh, as far as an update on that situation, but wouldn't be shocked if there was some sort of draft day trade, perhaps earlier with that run on quarterbacks. There could be a guy that slips down to that middle of the first round, and if you have a guy like Orlando Brown, you might be able to move up um, and get a first-round pick from someone, uh, a team that maybe doesn't love this year's tackle class, which, while they're not as good as last year's, which was unbelievable class, uh, I still think there's a lot of talent at that position, but it remains to be seen. Uh, I think a draft day move with Orlando Brown wouldn't be surprising at all, though. But I really think wide receiver and pass rusher in the first round for the Ravens, and, and that'll be a pretty good move. Um, other guys, maybe uh, Jalen Phillips at that pass rushing role. Uh, Carlos Basham, potentially uh, a guy from Wake Forest that didn't play this season, but has a lot of potential. Uh, but I think Pay would, would be a nice transition from Judon over to him and to get a, a nice young pass rusher in that Baltimore Ravens defense, which is definitely lacking in that area as, as it stands today. But I, I think that would be a good move for them. Moving along in the AFC North division, the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals possess the fifth pick overall, and I think this one is, is really easy. This is a really, really easy pick. There are some times where you don't need to overthink things. And while they could add a significant weapon at five, 
I think they need to add a significant weapon on the offensive line. All I need to see as far as draft prep from the the Cincinnati Bengals is just a run of clips of Joe Burrow time after time getting put on the ground, uh, getting sacked, and ultimately you know having a season-ending knee injury. You've got to protect your franchise quarterback. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Joe Burrow can play, and you need to protect him. Um, I've seen some media speculate that maybe they would not go with a tackle at five because of the free agent signing of Riley Reeve. That one I don't understand. I don't understand that whatsoever. Uh, Riley Reef is a middle-of-the-road tackle. Yeah, he's a former first-round pick, but he's been moving from team to team. And all those teams have a common thread. They needed offensive tackles. So he is in no way, shape, or form a long-term answer. I believe he only signed a one- or two-year deal with the with the Bengals anyway. Yeah, one year, $7.5 million. I don't think that that's a realistic solution. Unfortunately, Jonah Williams, their first-round pick from a couple seasons ago from Alabama, you can't count on him. He's gone down with season-ending knee injuries, back-to-back seasons. I think Jonah Williams is a talented player, and I think he's worth um, you know, keeping on. I'm not, certainly not advocating to getting rid of him, but when you have the opportunity to draft uh, Penny Sewell or even Rashawn Slater, I would go Sewell if I were Cincinnati here. I think that the way that he moves, uh, you know, Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal came up as an offensive line men himself and an offensive line coach. And so that unit at Oregon was pretty skilled, and he was the most skilled out of all those players. So there's just no way that I turn in any other draft card but that one. Penny Sewell, without a doubt. Rashawn Slater would be a fine pick out of Northwestern. Uh, both of these guys sat out this past college football season, uh, but both of them, I think, are really great prospects at the tackle spot. So I flipped the script a little bit there. But I, I'm I'm really passionate about offensive line. Uh, that's in, I think that's inherent now if you've listened to the show or know the context behind the name of the show. So that's why I had to – Break the break the mold there a little bit with Cincinnati, and I instead of going over some of their acquisitions and losses, I go immediately to the draft pick. I really just don't understand why Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts or or any one of those guys, um, any of the receivers from Alabama, would be a serious addition to that offense. But I just don't believe they're in a position where they absolutely need that. This is an extremely deep draft at the wide receiver position, much like last season. And you saw the Bengals capitalize on that with getting T. Higgins in later rounds. He wasn't a first first round draft pick, and he was he looked all the, just exactly like a first round wide receiver pick, extremely productive. And I'm looking forward to seeing him this season. But you've got to keep your quarterback protected. You've got to keep him upright. And I I just don't understand why there's any sort of debate. But as we'll get to here with some of their offseason moves, the Bengals sometimes make interesting decisions. And what I cite with that one is Trey Hendrickson over Shaq, Shaq Lawson. Or excuse me, not Shaq Lawson, but Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson leaves Cincinnati and signs with the Jets for more guaranteed money than they, they ended up giving to Trey Hendrickson. 
And while I don't think Trey Hendrickson's a bad player, he doesn't have great numbers other than this past season. Uh, you know, you don't want to have a flash in the pan type of a guy. And I'm not saying necessarily that he is, but you know the value that you have in Carl Lawson. He's been playing in your defense. The other guys on the defense have been playing with him. I think that they should have sort of just bit that bullet and given a little bit more money to Carl Lawson to retain him. They don't do that. Sign Trey Hendrickson. Four years, $60 million, with $32 million in the first two years. Now, the other move that they made uh, on the defensive line, they signed Larry Ogunjobi from the Browns to a one-year deal. I was a little bit surprised about that one. I thought Cleveland would find a way to bring him back. Uh, the other big-time moves, uh, they signed Mike Hilton from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And um, I'll obliterate this one, um, but a woozy uh, cornerback. They also brought him in. He was a pro bowler last season. They had a really tough time in the secondary. They made some moves. They didn't really pan out. And so uh, the Bengals trying to, you know, fill those holes. I think that those are some decent acquisitions. I think that sets them up well going into this draft, uh, you know, covering a couple of needs. Uh, certainly cornerback and edge rushers were up there um, as far as I was concerned. But as far as the, the losses, offseason losses for the Bengals, Lawson is a big one. The other one, William Jackson, uh, goes over to the Washington football team. That's sort of uh, one of the reasons they had a big hole at corner. Getting a couple of those guys in free agency, I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted one. Obviously not at number five. I really don't see why they would be in contention for anything other than an offensive tackle at five. But I suppose that going with a guy like Pitts or Jamar Chase potentially, maybe even Devontae Smith um, from Alabama, either one of those guys, but I, I think it's a really easy one. You don't need to overthink this Cincinnati. Take the tackle, Slater or Sewell, and give Joe Burrow some protection and keep him upright for 16 games. We'll move a little bit further north in the AFC North and head on over to Cleveland and talk about the Cleveland Browns. So the Browns had an interesting offseason. Uh, I say that because naturally they've always been somebody who makes a big move in free agency. Last year they get Jack Conklin and Alex Hooper. This year they, it's not that they didn't make a big-time free agency move. I think safety John Johnson – Cornerback Troy Hill, both guys coming from the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, a really great defensive unit last season, and I think will help the Browns. John Johnson was the signal caller. Um, he wore the dot on his helmet, so to speak, for the Rams last year. I think that the Browns could use not only his skills as a defender at that safety position to be extremely versatile, play in the box, play in space, but also some serious leadership. I think that, that that's any sort of a I think Ward presents a solid corner, but he just isn't healthy. He cannot seem to maintain a 16-game schedule. Uh, last season, you know, he missed a handful of games because of, of some injuries, and that seems to be a reoccurring thing with him. Um, you'd really like to see him bump that number up. I believe he only started 12 games last season. Really like to see him into that 14 range. Uh, only missing a handful, or only missing two there would, would be big. Troy Hill, though, provides some, some serious depth. He was sort of a third corner in Los Angeles last season. I think he could reprise such a role 
in Cleveland as well. Anthony Walker, a linebacker the Browns signed from the Indianapolis Colts. A little bit of an upgrade. I think linebacker is a position that is certainly a weak point for this Cleveland Browns defense, which overall is kind of the weak point of the team. Right now their offense is in a nice situation. Uh, They have a pretty good offensive line, though. I think that that might be an area where you see them snag a couple of guys in this draft, considering there's some decent depth at the tackle and guard spot, especially in later rounds. But to continue with some of the free agent signings, uh, Tack McKinley, one-year deal with the Browns, sort of a prove-it contract, uh, only $4 million, former first-round pick. Just couldn't seem to get it together in Atlanta, and last season was just very strange between Atlanta and the Browns actually tried to claim him several different times off of waivers. They were never able to. I don't believe he ended up getting claimed by the Las Vegas Raiders, but I don't believe Tech ever actually suited up or played in a game for the Raiders. Uh, was dealing with an injury and then who knows what else. He said all the right things in his press conference to the Browns, but ultimately I, I think that he'd be a, a hard sell for me on an upgrade at that other defensive end spot. I think that that's something that the Browns seriously need to address. Miles Garrett is a good player, but it would help that defense a lot more if there was another threat as far as the pass rushing capabilities. Obviously, it's hard to it's hard to find another guy that can have that kind of an impact. I mean, Miles Garrett at points during the season last year, I mean, the Thursday night game against the Cincinnati Bengals comes to mind where he gets that that strip sack at a pretty crucial moment. He has the ability to do that kind of thing. It's it's hard to find another opposite that has that type of big playability, but a guy that can at least sometimes have those type of abilities. Um, and right now they just really don't have it. Another signing I was surprised of the, the reaction to is Malik Jackson. Um, Malik Jackson, another guy that you know has had success in this league. He came to prominence with the Denver Broncos. Uh, he was a pretty played a pretty big role on that Super Bowl run that they had. Uh, then went and signed a huge free agent agency contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars and was so so there. Ended up in Philadelphia. Same thing. Kind of been dealing with a lot of injuries. You know, only signed a one year deal with the Browns. So by no means is that uh, you know a long term solution. Obviously, only the one year contract, but provides a little bit of leadership. Him and Sheldon Richardson in the middle. I think that that's another area of this defensive line. Uh, they get Andrew Billings. He opted out last season after the Browns signed him in free agency. They get him to come in there. But losing Larry Ogunjobi, I thought he was a, a decent defensive tackle. Certainly had his moments. Was more of a pass rusher. Uh, I don't know who necessarily fills that role. It might be Malik Jackson. It might be a combination of him and some of the other guys. Jordan Elliott comes to mind at that defensive tackle spot. He's a guy the Browns drafted last year out of Missouri uh, that they might be looking to see some things from. But other than that, sort of so-so free agent signings. The Browns are in very unfamiliar territory as far as the draft goes. They're picking extremely late. Cleveland used to having those higher to mid-round picks. Picking at number 26, which changes a lot of things. The mentality and your outlook on the draft, now obviously Browns fans sky high right now after the season that they had, the way that they hung with the Chiefs, the way that they beat down the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. But nobody is is, is much looking forward to the draft. In fact, I've even heard some 
Some people refer to this 26th pick as a throwaway. And that's where you're wrong. See, the one thing that's important here for the Browns to sustain this success that you've seen other teams in this division, it's a tight race each and every year. Now, I'm not saying that the Bengals are going to contend for the division title, but when you have a dynamic quarterback like Joe Burrow, much like you saw as a Cleveland Browns fan with Baker Mayfield, you'd be surprised what can happen and what that guy and his leadership and his mentality can do for a team, even if they aren't the most talented or they have some weaknesses, some serious weaknesses. So this 26 pick is not a throwaway. This is an opportunity to you know, really help and get an impact player. Maybe not necessarily week one, but a guy that could come in or eventually take someone else's job and upgrade a position, um, if not a day one starter. I mean, certainly it's, it's not uh, unheard of for that to happen. But the one thing I, I appreciated about the Browns' offseason was that Andrew Barry and company, the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, gave them a lot of flexibility at that 26th pick, which is important because, well, I mean, I don't have to spell it out to anybody. There's 32 teams in the league. 26th, it's, it's a low pick. There's going to be a lot of guys off the board at that point. Now, again, and I'll, I'll continue to say it, this run on quarterbacks is going to help some of these teams with these lower picks because it's going to inevitably, guys are, position players are going to fall. And they're going to be selected and available at spots that most people didn't mock them up to be or think that they would be. And so with that flexibility, the Browns, I still think that this is a defensive pick. Still sticking with defense, I think that uh, that edge rusher position would be an easy place to find a guy uh, in the first round for the Browns at 26. So edge rusher would probably be the number one thing I would look for. Also look at cornerback and linebacker, potentially defensive line, uh, but I hesitate on that one. I really like edge rusher, corner, or a linebacker. Uh, I think at the 26 spot, things will line up pretty well for any one of those picks. Uh, Gregory Russo from Miami is a defensive end prospect, really big guy, pretty raw, athletic though, uh, could could really benefit from having Miles Garrett as a teammate. Um, Obviously, to the dismay of my Ravens pick, perhaps Quiddy Payne pay from Michigan as well. Uh, but I'll move on to cornerback spot because I think that's that's another one where there could be some really good players. Uh, I haven't seen anything on his medical evaluation yet, but Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech would be a really good pick. Um, you don't know what you're expecting with Greedy Williams back there. I think Troy Hill is a nice slot corner, third corner guy but I don't believe he's really a number two. Uh, so with Greedy Williams and his back injury last year and not a whole lot of knowledge about that, I would stick to trying to look for one. Him or Greg Newsom from Northwestern, who really pretty elite physical skills as well as you know just football IQ. And that term gets tossed around a lot, but you know there were times where he was up against some pretty serious competition in the Big Ten. And Greg Newsom was responsible for those guys and did a really good job of locking them down, uh, was a big asset to that Northwestern defense. And the surprise, surprise one that I've been seeing recently, uh, I've seen Zavin Collins and Nick Bolton. Uh, Collins from Tulsa is a small school guy that a lot of people are high on. 
at that linebacker spot. Nick Bolton is another one from Missouri that a lot of a lot of people are talking about, but a guy who's kind of come into prominence recently and and was sort of a shock to a lot of the draft pundits that he came out this season is uh, Jamin Davis from Kentucky. Freaky athleticism. Uh, again, another really raw prospect, but I think elite athleticism is something that the Browns don't have at linebacker right now in Taki Taki or Mac Wilson. I think Mac Wilson is a good player, but if you're looking to you know, bring that position group a step up, I think a guy like that, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network has been really big on him. Uh, that is Jamin Davis from Kentucky, and he has uh, Davis mocked to the Browns. And I think that that's a really interesting pick, and, and that's the type of move that you make at 26. Maybe you take a little bit of a risk on a guy like that. But despite what Joe Woods has said about the safety position being a little bit more important than the linebackering spot in his defense, that certainly doesn't mean that the linebacker spot isn't important. I've seen a lot of people kind of devalue that because, oh, it and obviously Joe Woods knows his scheme better than anyone else and what he wants to do and what his ideal players are or what his ideal personnel is. But if you could upgrade that linebacker spot, you could be you could do even more with those safeties. And you could really use the Swiss Army knife that, that, that Josh Johnson is at that position if you had a linebacker that was capable of, of being deep in coverage or, you know, securing things uh, sideline to sideline. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a linebacker pick, um, possibly uh, Jamin Davis, but I really think uh, Nick Bolton would be a good pick here. Uh, I think Zavin Collins, a lot of hype on him, so he might, he might be gone by the time the Browns get on the board. And we'll move on to the last team in the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I won't lie to you, my favorite team in the AFC North, obviously, but <sighs> big sigh big sigh out of me on that one. I'm not sure exactly what the Steelers will will do in the draft, but we'll start with what is kind of a lackluster or interesting, depending on how you want to phrase it, offseason. The big moves that were made, a restructure of Ben Roethlisberger's contract, uh, with a few voidable years uh, in order to get some cap savings on this season and get Roethlisberger at a little bit more of a reduced rate because the Steelers were, you know, in the red there uh, for a little while. The other surprise was cutting Steve Nelson, who was a starting corner last year for the Steelers. For uh, I mean, I believe he missed a few games because of injury, but I thought it was a really solid performer. was surprised that they made that move. But bringing back Juju Smith-Schuster, something that, as a Steelers fan, you're accustomed to them. There are just some guys that they're not going to be able to keep, guys that are going to leave in free agency and cash in. And the Steelers, obviously, talking about their uh, salary cap troubles, didn't have the money to offer that guy a big deal. Well, the receiver market sort of tanked in general, but it seems that the market for Juju Smith-Schuster also tanked. wasn't a whole lot out there. Because I've even seen that it was initially reported when he agreed to come back to the Steelers on a one-year, $8 million deal that he had offers and serious interest from Baltimore and Kansas City, as well as potentially Philadelphia. But I, I obviously 
did not talk to the people that reported those things, but I wouldn't be surprised if those weren't entirely accurate. Um, I don't know how interested Baltimore would have been in him, not saying that they wouldn't have called at all, but it seemed that at least initially in free agency, he was looking for a nice payday and it wasn't there. For, it wasn't there for most of these guys, to be quite honest. The only guy in the wide receiver market who really got paid was Kenny Galladay uh, going over to the New York football giant. Uh, other than that, they bring back Zach Banner. They get Joe, Joe Hag, uh, backup offensive lineman was with the Bucks. also played with the Colts in previous seasons. Resigned Cam Sutton. Uh, they also lose Mike Hilton. Bring back Ray Ray McLeod, a guy who was a special teamer and could do some things on a reverse and, and things of that nature for this offense. Uh, I think the Steelers have a lot of a lot of different holes, and I think that's what it makes projecting what they'll do in the first round of the draft pretty difficult. I could see a lot of different picks being made, and again, much like with several other teams here in in the AFC North, having that that low draft pick. Having a pick in, in the, the mid to low 20s, the Steelers coming in at 24, it kind of just depends on how the rest of the board shakes down. Um, obviously, I don't think this it would be a good idea for the Steelers to go quarterback in the first round, especially at that 24 spot. Um, what it would take to move up is far too high of a price tag. Uh, the Steelers don't traditionally trade up in the draft. I know they did it a few years ago for Devin Bush. And the previous times before that were for Santonio Holmes and Troy Palomalu. And I think Heath Miller also is included in there. I believe they traded up to select him in the first round. But I think that they'll be staying put. Um, some people have projected a trade back. I don't really like to get into that. It's too difficult to figure out who would trade up and what the compensation would look like. So I imagine that they'll stay at number 24. I don't like the idea of a running back in the first round. Uh, Najee Harris is unbelievably talented, but I just don't think that that's the right move for the Steelers at this time. I think there's better value on other running backs in later rounds. Really, I think that much like the Cincinnati Bengals, the solution here is relatively simple. I think you have to go with an offensive lineman. I think that there's there'll be several tackles that could be available that could have a pretty big impact on the Steelers' offense right away. Uh, not that I don't think the interior is a problem, but with a young guy in Kevin Dotson taking over that left guard spot, uh, he was a, a mid-round draft pick last season for the Steelers, started a handful of games and performed pretty well. Uh, I don't think that there's necessarily a center to take at 24. Um, I could be talked into a few different guys, but my initial gut reaction is to get that ta offensive tackle. Some of the names there at the, at the tackle spot that I think could be there that I think the, the Steelers should take a look at and have um, this year with things being a little more calculated as far as, you know, obviously with the, with the COVID-19 pandemic going on, it's it's been more calculated who's where because 
you know, they can only have so many people in these facilities for these pro days and things like that. And so a guy like Christian Derisaw, perhaps, uh, might be available, offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. Uh, Samuel uh, Kosimi from Texas. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State are a couple of guys that I, w- I would like to see in the first round. Uh, potentially Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. Uh, But I've also seen Mayfield, uh, some people debate whether he projects better as an offensive guard in the NFL. Um, I haven't done a lot of research on him, but he was a starting tackle at Michigan. Uh, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State has been a pretty common name as far as the Steelers selecting an offensive tackle in the first round. As far as the interior guys, uh, more specifically the center position, I love Landon Dickerson, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what some of the medical evaluations for a guy like him will come out to be. A lot of guys actually were in Indianapolis, I believe, this week in order to do medical evals. A guy that went down three seasons in a row at Florida State with season-ending injuries, um, I believe all of them knees, and then tore his ACL last year at Alabama. He seems to be moving well. He had some really good numbers at his pro day. Even saw him cartwheeling behind Mac Jones in an interview, which was pretty impressive for a lot of different reasons. I really like Landon Dickerson. I think that he could be an unbelievable player in a really great lineage of of centers for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I just don't know, given that injury history, if it's worth the risk at 24. Creed Humphrey is a center from Oklahoma, uh, is a guy I could see in later rounds. The other guy in later rounds that I could see, well, other two guys in later rounds that I could see, Josh Myers from Ohio State is somebody that uh, the Steelers talked to at the Ohio State Pro Day. The Steelers have a history of taking a lot of Ohio State guys, so I could see that one happening. But And this says a lot, because this is getting personal now, but a guy I wouldn't mind seeing in the black and gold, Quinn Miners from Wisconsin-Whitewater, came on the scene at the Senior Bowl and was just wrecking guys until he hurt his wrist, or broke his wrist, actually. Was a guard at Division III Wisconsin-Whitewater, but is projecting as a guard or a center. Did snap at the Senior Bowl and was pretty good there. And there's a deep history with Mount Union and Whitewater, not so much recently, but, uh, you know, obviously, for me to give a tip of the cap to a Whitewater guy, he's pretty good. Uh, But Quinn Miners, man, unbelievable just tenacious player, was putting guys on the ground on a consistent basis, was really finishing each and every play. And you have to love that type of an effort and always love Division Three football. A big advocate for that, as always, on this show. The other positions, other position, excuse me, that I could see potentially in that first round, maybe the Steelers go corner. They signed Cam Sutton, as I mentioned earlier, but only to a two-year deal. Who knows, uh, with 31-year-old Joe Hayden opposite of him, yeah, they have Justin Lane, who was a draft pick in the third round out of Michigan State a few years ago, but I'm not sure uh, if they project him to be a number one or number two starting corner. Maybe they like him more in that slot position, so I wouldn't be surprised with a corner selection either. Uh, a guy that the Steelers have certainly talked to a lot is Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech or Greg Newsom. I mentioned those two guys with the Browns as well, um, so... Uh, obviously, the Steelers select before them, so they 
they have the upper hand on Cleveland and potentially getting those guys. But I think offensive tackle, um, I don't really think that there's necessarily a terrible pick at that, at that position in this round, but Steelers need to upgrade the offensive line. It was a huge problem last season. And I'm not here to get into debates about Ben Roethlisberger and whether they should have brought him back or not, but regardless of who is behind center, you need to be able to protect him. And they couldn't do that last year. The other thing is the running game is absolutely atrocious and you need somebody who can get to that second level and can get movement on a consistent basis. You can't get pushed back three yards on a third and one or third and two. And that happened way too many times last season for the Steelers team. So I think an offensive line selection, specifically tackle, is is where the Steelers need to go for this one. Looking at the clock now on, on my recording software, a little bit past where I, I was aiming to be. So here's what we're going to do. Pull an audible. This will be a two-part episode. Uh, the second part will be consisting of the NFC North going over what the Lions, Bears, Packers, and Vikings will be doing uh, and what they did this offseason and what I think they'll be doing in this upcoming NFL draft. That show will drop tomorrow. So be sure to watch that. I'll make sure to push it out on social media. Make sure you give the show a follow at IamDownField on Twitter. like to share a lot of interesting content, my own opinions, reports, articles that I find prevalent for you know you as a football fan. Before we get out of here in episode one, recapping the AFC North offseasons and where I think they'll go in this 2021 draft. I'd also like to wish a congratulations and a shout out to former Pro Bowl offensive lineman and O-line performance founder, LaCharles Bentley. Uh, he was just named a senior advisor for player performance and development. He'll be helping out uh, NFL executive vice president of football operations, Troy Vincent. Uh, on player performance and development and enhancements for different resources and the best practices to enhance the sport. He'll be working a lot with not just NFL players, but also be doing some work with the NFL youth and high school um, partnerships that they have. The Charles Bentley is uh, a fascinating guy, has a really interesting story. So if, if you haven't heard about it, he was he's from the Cleveland area, went to Ohio State, was a Remington Award winner there. Uh, then goes and gets drafted by the New Orleans Saints, goes to a couple Pro Bowls there, signs a huge free agent contract to come home and play for the Cleveland Browns, goes down with a knee injury early on in, in some sort of offseason. I don't even know if it was exactly training camp. Um, you know, gets some horrendous staph infections. I mean, almost loses his leg and, and kind of fights his way back to football through O-line performance. And before Duke uh, Mannyweather who's a big-time offensive line guru, uh, the guy to go to and to watch and to hear things about for, about offensive linemen coming up in the college ranks and even in the NFL was the Charles Bentley and O-line performance. And not to say that that's fallen off or anything like that. It, it still is very prevalent, but now there's a guy like, you know, a guy like Duke Mannyweather who has, you know, done a really good job with training prospects as well. But to see the Charles Bentley, you know, get into – the league offices like that always love to see linemen succeed. So congratulations to him, but that'll wrap things up for part one of the, the North division previews. Uh, this one being the AFC North part two will be the NFC North. Be sure to like, and subscribe 
to the show, an eligible man downfield podcast on all major podcast platforms. Tell a friend and see you soon, everybody.